Hi, I'm Ryan Levy. Welcome back to Malicious Life in collaboration with Cyber Reason. At the end of our last episode, it kind of seemed like Huawei, the Chinese telecommunications company accused of aiding in state cyber spying, was completely innocent. They were being accused of crimes they may not have committed based on evidence that largely did not exist. The conspiracies around them seem unfair at best, malicious at worst. But there's another side to this story, of course. Huawei didn't end up on people's radar for no reason. They've earned their notoriety. I'll tell you a story so you see what I mean. Remember what Amit Serpil said earlier this episode about what Huawei is like? Think of, of Huawei sort of like a company like Cisco here in the U.S. This comparison holds a little more weight than Amit lets on. The reason why traces back to 2003 when the executive vice president at Cisco, Mark Chandler, flew to Huawei headquarters in Shenzhen, China, to confront the CEO, Ren Zhengwei. The problem? Cisco had reason to believe that Huawei was copying their, well, everything. Maybe not everything, but manuals, help screens, a command line interface, and most of all, source code for routers and switches. The evidence was not ambiguous either. For example, Huawei's manuals didn't just read like Cisco's, they contained the same typos. Even high schoolers know to reword the Wikipedia articles they copy into their history papers. According to the Wall Street Journal, when Chandler presented the evidence to his face, Zheng Wei replied by saying, quote, coincidence. Cisco sued. In 2004, the parties settled out of court after Huawei admitted to stealing some router software and agreed to get rid of all the disputed IP. But if Cisco sought an end to the drama there, they wouldn't get it. The following year, an American diplomatic cable reported that Cisco employees stationed in Zimbabwe found counterfeit Cisco tech in the telecoms systems installed by Huawei. Let's take a more recent example. Meng Wanzhou is the company's CFO and notably the daughter of its founder, Ren Zhengwei, the coincidence guy. On December 1st of 2018, she was arrested at Vancouver International Airport on request from the United States. The Justice Department has charged her with financial fraud, stealing trade secrets and doing business in Iran in disregard for economic sanctions. If found guilty, she faces up to 10 years in prison. Of course, somebody as powerful and well-connected as Meng will almost certainly not go to jail for 10 years, let alone any years. But the DOG does not press charges like these without ample supporting evidence. Meng's case will continue for a while before a verdict is reached, but even if she somehow escapes all punishment, Huawei itself as part of the same set of DOG indictments, has been charged on 16 counts, including fraud, theft of trade secrets, and racketeering. 
the point of saying all this isn't to bash Huawei. And really, evidence of other crimes doesn't implicate them in cyber espionage. But it does all add up to something, right? Like, imagine your roommate is our senior producer, Nate Nelson. One day, your yogurts go missing. You ask him where they went. I don't know, dude. It was probably the yogurt fairy. You've got no proof that he ate them. You totally could have had some the other day, not realizing you finished the pack. Then again, Nate used a ton of your cooking oil last week to fry chicken wings, and he didn't ask first. Plus, he never takes out the trash or goes shopping when you need toilet paper and paper towels. Really, Nate is a bad roommate. I bet he did steal that yogurt. Ah, he really sucks, doesn't he? Hey, next time you go to the market, can you get the uh, strawberry flavor? The blueberry kind is good, but I'm getting a little sick of it. Even before we consider cyber spying, we must consider that Huawei, the organization, as well as some of its highest level executives and employees, have committed crimes before. They're hardly the first Chinese company to do so. In fact, as it pertains to IP theft, they're part of the norm. And that's also part of the problem. The troubled history of Huawei and the country they come from is what makes allegations of cyber spying worth looking into. The first European country to meaningfully publicly question Huawei's 5G cybersecurity was, of all places, the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic was a rather unexpected country to take such a stand. Huawei provides a significant portion of the country's telecom infrastructure. Milos Zeman, the president of the Czech Republic, has for many years been lobbying for Chinese investment in his country, making multiple trips to China and hosting China's president in Prague. If there were one sign of just how tight the Czech government was with China's, it would be Huawei, which for years has provided all the communications technology for President Zeman himself and his staff. That's trust. That's why it was so notable when, in December of 2018, the Czech National Cyber and Information Security Agency, known colloquially as Nukib, issued a warning against Huawei and ZTE, a smaller Chinese competitor. Translated, the notice alleged that China's law forced companies to, quote, cooperate with intelligence services, therefore introducing them into the key state systems might present a threat, end quote. Following the statement, the nation's prime minister, Andrei Babish, called for a ban on Huawei's products within the government, the first of its kind proposed in Europe. But events quickly swung back the other way. After the warning from Nukib, Zeman accused his own cybersecurity agency of, quote, dirty tricks. Political infighting ensued. Zeman's side won out, not just because he had greater power than Babish. The Czech National Security Council found no clear basis for Nukib's original claim, and the government ban was struck down. 
Since December 2018, Huawei has continued with business as usual in the Czech Republic, even earning new contracts on top of those they already had. Still, in other parts of the world, the inciting question didn't feel so totally answered. Does Chinese law require that companies participate in state intelligence? Can we say? Officials in China's government have argued for years that Huawei does not act in service of their intelligence services. Huawei's CEO stated that, quote, even if we were required by Chinese law, we would firmly reject that, end quote. But could they firmly reject that, even if they wanted to? In June 2017, with little public discussion on the matter, China updated its national intelligence law. Among its stipulations, Article 7 states that, quote, any organization or citizen shall support, assist, and cooperate with state intelligence work according to law, end quote. Article 14 expands on the idea, quote, State intelligence work organs, when legally carrying forth intelligence work, may demand that concerned organs, organizations, or citizens provide needed support, assistance, and cooperation. End quote. According to the same law, if such a company is called upon, they are not only required to participate, but also protect, quote, any state intelligence work secrets of which they are aware. End quote. It seems, therefore, that if China's state intelligence were to demand Huawei build backdoors into their 5G equipment for use in state surveillance, Huawei would have to comply, and its executives would have to keep that compliance a secret. But not long after the very public Czech Republic fight, in an attempt to reverse the narrative, Huawei commissioned its own legal review. The review, 37 pages, written by a Beijing-based law firm, reviewed by a firm in London, concluded that Chinese law doesn't appear to require that Huawei would have to participate in government intelligence. Among its conclusions, it's argued that Huawei, the makers of the equipment, are not obliged in the same way that the actual operators of networks are. Also, any Chinese laws that would theoretically apply to Huawei did not extend to its subsidiaries or employees outside of China. The problem with this report, as was quickly pointed out by observers, is that China's government is not bound by its own laws. Consider how often U.S. intelligence breaks its laws. The NSA's PRISM program, for example. China's legal system is far more lenient than the United States. The Communist Party is the law. Who would hold them in check if they fudged their own rules? They're the ones who get to decide. But no kid grounds themselves, no teenager turns themselves in for underage drinking. What is Huawei's relationship to the Chinese government? Or perhaps a better question would be, what is any company of Huawei size in China's relation to their government? So the way things work in China is that a lot of companies or pretty much every company has some sort of an interface uh, with the government. And it could be 
either by ownership or by pretty much taking instructions and doing whatever the government um, tells them to do. You have uh, people in the board of directors of these companies that are in the government or in the Chinese military. Um, so the, 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 the government and the military and the intelligence uh, bodies, those companies and the government are often intertwined. It's often said that there's a cost of doing business in China. In reality, there is a certain cost of doing business in any country. In Russia's oligarchy, for example, the president has major sway in deciding which companies can exist and who gets to profit from them. In the United States, the cost of doing business is more vague. Private companies have much more freedom and agency, and they possess the legal right to sue the government. But it's usually a really bad idea to cross the authorities, especially when national security is invoked. The NSA's PRISM program was an example of just how broadly private sector communications companies can be extrajudicially weaponized by the NSA for use in cyber surveillance. But in addition to those cases, there are cases to the opposite. Apple's refusal to provide the FBI with an iPhone passcode crack in their investigation of the San Bernardino terrorist attacks proved that the largest American companies do have the power to defy government order. Chinese companies likely have no choice but to participate with the ruling Communist Party's order, but exactly how much influence the party exerts on any given company isn't usually clear from the outside. In fact, it's expressly made to be unclear. Huawei is a good example of this. Last year, the CIA accused Huawei of receiving funding from Chinese military, national security, and intelligence agencies. The root of these claims and the specific dollar amounts are not publicly known. Last Christmas, the Wall Street Journal wrote that they had received approximately $75 million in state funding over their years of operation. Huawei rebutted that they had received approximately that much money, but in the form of tax breaks and grants for research. If true, these sources of funding are not unique to China and don't on their own indicate government control. Cisco, for example, has received nearly $40 million in the past two decades through U.S. state and federal subsidies. Really, $40 million or $75 million in state funding is tame compared to what goes on in some other industries. The Raiders football team, for example, squeezed $750 million out of the state of Nevada to help build their new stadium in Las Vegas. And a few years ago, according to documents obtained by the Wall Street Journal, New York politicians tried incentivizing Amazon to move to Queens by offering them $2.5 billion in tax breaks and grants. All this is to say, when state money ends up in corporate hands, it's not necessarily an indicator of political influence. Cisco, Amazon, and the Raiders are not controlled by their state governments. 
This may also be the case in China. Alternatively, China's government could be using ostensibly legitimate forms of funding as a way of funneling dirty money. It is in the interest of both China's government and their corporations to obscure their connection as much as possible in the eyes of the outside world. For multinational companies, it's a bad look to be seen as a puppet of the state. For the state, local companies provide two weapons, resources and plausible deniability. Those of you who've heard our Malicious Life episodes on China versus GitHub know exactly how this all goes down. In that episode, we discussed how the Chinese government, on three notable occasions in the last decade, weaponized Baidu, their equivalent of Google, to launch denial-of-service attacks on the website GitHub. In those attacks, the state was able to take control of Baidu's IT infrastructure and weaponize the huge amount of traffic that flow through their online services. It worked so well that the third time around, they managed the single greatest DDoS attack recorded in history to that point. Today, we're pretty sure that China's government was behind each attack. But it took a lot of investigative work to get to the point where we could say that. And even with that being said, there's not exactly any 100% definitive proof. It is precisely stories like this that worry Western governments. Can you blame them? Imagine you're the NSA, the world's most advanced cyber espionage agency, and one day you discover that one of your most top-secret tools, a highly effective exploit called Double Pulsar, is copied almost byte for byte in a malware created by none other than a Chinese APT group. I can almost hear the gears turning inside your head. What? How can this be? Was the NSA hacked? This is the topic of an episode titled UP Synergy in a new podcast called CP Radio. It's produced by the same team behind Malicious Life, and each episode of CP Radio brings new research published recently by Checkpoint's Research Lab with in-depth interviews with Checkpoint's top researchers who talk about their work and the implications of their research. Look for CP Radio in your favorite podcast listening app or browse to research.checkpoint.com. The response to Huawei's threat has been handled very differently by different governments around the world. As a case study, consider the five countries that make up the so-called Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance – America, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, and Canada. Only one of these countries had taken early, aggressive, consistent action to protect their national comms infrastructure from possible Chinese state influence. Can you guess which one it was? Australia. 
In 2012, Australia's government banned Huawei from participating in the national broadband network. In 2018, New Zealand took similar action by blocking a local telco company, Spark, from using Huawei equipment. We might call this a soft ban, a precedent more than a rule. The U.S. ban, as well as the recent Department of Justice indictments against Huawei, its subsidiaries and members of the company, have caused the recent surge in Huawei press. But the lead-up to the ban far predates the Trump administration. Every U.S. president since George W. Bush has had to grapple with what to do about Huawei. Back in 2006, 3Com, a California-based network technology company, had entered into a joint business venture with Huawei called H3C. Only eight months into his tenure, the chairman of H3C voluntarily resigned due to concerns he had with Huawei's business and cybersecurity practices. A year later, Bain Capital, an investment firm co-founded by Senator Mitt Romney sought to buy 3Com for over $2 billion, with between 16 and 21% equity given to Huawei. Eight members of Congress then pushed a bill suggesting that the Bush administration help block the deal. In a statement, one congresswoman expressed that, quote, it would be a grave error for the U.S. regulators to approve a deal that permits minority ownership in 3Com by one of the least transparent companies operating in China, a firm with shadowy ties to Chinese army and intelligence services, end quote. The opposition was effective and the buyout fell through. In 2010, eight senators signed a letter to high-up officials in the Barack Obama administration expressing concern over a potential multi-billion dollar contract between Huawei and Sprint. Extra emphasis was given to the fact that Sprint was a military and law enforcement supplier, meaning that the Chinese could theoretically use Huawei to get to Sprint to get to the U.S. government. Sprint later blocked Huawei's participation in the deal. But no real legislation followed. Large and small U.S. telcos continued to purchase Huawei equipment. Until recently, this was the general pattern. Red flags, no data. Warnings, no action. Hesitation, but ultimately business as usual. Canada has followed the same kind of trend line. In 2018, the government revealed it had been conducting a security probe on its Huawei tech since 2013. But in a speech to parliamentary committee that September, the head of the Center for Cybersecurity in Canada said his country would not come out against Huawei, that they preferred, quote, trying to address all of the risks and not just one specific one, end quote. Of the Five Eyes nations, Britain stands out as the country which most of all has worked with rather than against Huawei. In 2009, spy chiefs from GCHQ, the NSA of the UK, warned government ministers of the potential for a, quote, deliberate attack by China. 
But in 2010, the same agency partnered with Huawei to form the Huawei Cybersecurity Evaluation Center. The same year, a 40-year veteran and former head of engineering at GCHQ took a position at Huawei. And in 2011, a former chief information officer for the UK government did the same. In 2012, Prime Minister David Cameron and Huawei CEO signed a long-term investment deal worth $1.3 billion. As recently as this year, Britain's government said it won't exclude Huawei from its upcoming 5G infrastructure investments. It will limit their market share to 35%, though, and their equipment will be excluded from sensitive geographic locations. The agreement to allow Huawei 5G came in direct opposition to U.S. lobbying. Over the past couple of years, the Trump administration has aggressively pushed its allies to join in banning Huawei tech within their borders. Part of the motivation has to do with actual cybersecurity best practices. These companies work closely together in cyber intelligence. If America is worried that China can peer into Britain's network, they're going to be less likely to cooperate on sensitive projects in the future. But part of the motivation also has to do with politics and cold, hard cash. It's important to remember that the U.S. also has uh, companies that are competing with Huawei. And so far, I don't think they're doing really well. So... If right now Huawei has a better product than the American companies, then it kind of makes sense that all sorts of Congress members and all sorts of other kind of representative representatives will um, will make sorts of uh, make all sorts of uh, um, alarmist uh, uh, announcements about the uh, security of Huawei's products. So there's always a hidden agenda somewhere. Regardless of why, America's lobbying has already had corrosive effects on international cooperation. It has put allied countries in a very difficult position. On one hand, if you ban Huawei, you'll undoubtedly alienate the Chinese. If you don't ban Huawei, you risk alienating the Trump administration. Either way, you've gained a powerful enemy. Huawei claims to service a third of the world's population. If you live in Banbury, Prague, Harare, or even Oregon, you may be among that third. But don't fret. There's little reason for you, personally, to worry. We need to be careful, and, 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 and we also need to always remember what is our threat model. So if the average Joe buys a, a, a Huawei cell phone, is the average Joe a target here? Or is the target uh, someone more important that has a Huawei phone? So it's, it's also, it's important to, to, to threat model and, and think always about what you're trying to hide and what it is that you're trying to um, stay out of. There's a lot we don't know about Huawei. By the end of two episodes, what we can say is this. There's ample evidence that Huawei tech is insecure, but little evidence that its vulnerabilities are being exploited by the Chinese state to spy on people. 
So we can't justifiably accuse Huawei of malintent, at least in regards to the issue of cyber spying. At the same time, nations do have legitimate reasons to prevent Huawei from participating in their 5G infrastructure projects. And even though we lack evidence of China leveraging Huawei technology, we know they retain the ability to do so really at any time in the future. No matter what their CEO says publicly, they have very little control in the matter. They exist only by virtue of their government allowing them to. I look at Huawei as, uh, as an arm of the Chinese government, but I also I look at most of these companies that are coming out of China uh, the same way. There, there were other companies that, uh, that make uh, telco equipment uh, that, were that, that had uh, backdoors found in them. ZTE as well. It's another uh, company that made headlines. Those, those things happen. But with that being said, you can't really outrun it because a lot of the stuff that we use is, is made in China or has Chinese software engineers writing code for it. And it doesn't, mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that anything that comes out of China or that anything that comes out of Huawei or ZTE or any other company um, was meant to spy on everyone. But it's, it's just something that we, need, that we need to keep in mind. We've gone over a lot of negative stuff in these past two episodes. But if you ask me, even with all the reasons to avoid Huawei and all the bad press they've been getting, I think they'll come out of this just fine. So uh, a few years ago, I met with um, uh, the network architect of um, a fairly large ISP. In, in, in a different country. And uh, he told me that um, his company was using almost exclusively Cisco and Juniper Networks equipment. Um, but due to some sort of a change that they had to make in their network, they, they asked uh, Cisco to add a certain feature, like especially for them, something that was not natively in the product. Cisco wanted a lot of money for it, and they also um, they told him that it would take them a few months uh, to do that. And that ISP eventually started shopping for uh, other vendors. And they, uh, they started talking to Huawei, and they told them what they need. And uh, Huawei sent about 40 software engineers to um, that ISP's site, and they uh, added everything they wanted to their product in a matter of, if I recall correctly, it was like three or four weeks instead of like eight months and sold them the equipment for a very low price, like much lower than, than what Cisco uh, offered them originally. You can safely assume that um, that equipment is probably backdoor. But at the end of the day, it all comes to dollars and cents. And the power that, that uh, Huawei has, like the ability to just send 40 software engineers with their laptop to write code on site is something that not a lot of companies can do. Combine it with the fact that, that their equipment is cheaper, then it's, it's, it's no wonder why they're so popular and they're everywhere. So at the end of the day, when what you look at uh, as a business executive is dollars and cents, then we're just we're going to see our privacy um, compromised as a result of that because 
more, more privacy usually costs more money. People reuse bad passwords, companies only pay for protection after getting hacked, and governments would rather buy border walls than firewalls. Cybersecurity outside the confines of the industry is taken only somewhat seriously. Money, on the other hand, is important to everyone. And Huawei is, in almost all respects, cheaper than the competition. Whether it be state funding, exploitation of workers, or some kind of trade secret, Huawei, next to their Western equivalents like Cisco, usually comes out as the viable budget option. So, until the day we find Xi Jinping using a Huawei router backdoor to watch a video feed of your mom clipping her toenails in the kitchen, Huawei will continue to be a preferred option for telecom providers around the world. In the end, it probably won't matter much. But you know, it might. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We're launching our second annual listeners survey this week. You might remember that last year, me and Eliad, our producer, recorded a special episode dedicated to the interesting things we learned from the previous survey. If you wish, you can find it on our website, malicious.life. These surveys are very helpful and very useful for us. They help me and the team learn what needs improvement and what works, and it helps us convince our sponsors that the audience listening to the podcast is the right audience for their marketing needs. So by answering the survey questions, you're helping us in a very big way. Naturally, all the answers are completely anonymous. You can find a link to the survey on our website, malicious.life. On Twitter, we asked you, our listeners, do you think Huawei's products contain hidden backdoors planted by the Chinese government? The poll results were conclusive. 75% of you think that, yes, Huawei does plant hidden backdoors in its products. However, the poll does not tell the whole story, because in the subsequent thread, we had many comments such as this one from Caleb Newman. Quote, U.S. government throwing around accusations of hidden backdoors in Chinese products placed by Chinese government. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Snowden told you. End quote. Many of you, it seems, think along similar lines. For example, Frank wrote, quote, Why should it be different than with U.S. companies? Cisco products have backdoors too. End quote. And Twitter user You're Not Me from Texas wrote, quote, I trust nothing from China and Russia, Kaspersky. But then American companies also have their products reporting back to them, and it's not always a stretch for them to turn that info over to the government, like how Google recently agreed to share anonymized location data, end quote. Johannes Ebner from Munich wrote, quote, Everyone plants backdoors. 
Why should the Chinese be any different from the U.S.? End quote. As for the minority view, some listeners think that the allegations against Huawei are part of a cynical attempt to hurt their competitiveness, like KMD who wrote, quote, I believe it's not just Huawei who do this backdooring, but some Western companies as well. Huawei is just being outed to keep stifle the competition, end quote. And also Brandon, who writes, quote, I don't buy the hidden backdoor thing. It's a Western ploy to keep out competition. Also, technically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. End quote. That last one is interesting because I don't know why planting backdoors doesn't make sense technically. So, Brandon, feel free to elaborate on that if you wish. A big thanks to all of you who participated in our discussions over on Twitter. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Thanks again to Cyber Reason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye. Oh